Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the Sopoli Beautific Hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. That's just not true. <laughs> Don't give it away. Okay. The following program is produced by Magic Man Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True crime uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Yes, you are. Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. That I am. Mark C.G. Boyer, fact checker and map maker. He actually brought maps of where our guest is, who is calling in via Skype from, uh, where the heck are you, uh, Joseph Shepard? I'm in Slovakia. Slovakia, isn't that kind of like a shish kebab that they serve at Greek restaurants? <laughs> it's a place unknown even to my father. Really? Did it used to be Czechoslovakia? It did until until many years ago, yes. What do they do at the Czechel? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they have their own country now. So did they get along, the Czechels and the Slovakians? Yes, it was, it was called the Velvet Revolution. Oh, Nothing happened. What Nothing, happened? Nothing. <laughs> they just said, let's split this up. I think I'm from uh, Yugoslavia. That's who you are? Yeah. Your family? Well, yeah, my family, yeah. They make Part a horrible them. car called a Yugo. Did you ever see that thing? Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like an Izetta, except worse. It, it's back in the uh, Yugo days. Yeah, it I makes them make great refrigerators. Uh, Joseph Shepard, you are, as last time I checked, uh, what's the correct terminology? An anthropologist and an underwater anthropologist. Am I correct? Yes, uh, I have been above and below the water as an anthropologist. Well, to explain to people who... The usual people who listen to Outlaw Radio have an educational level just above kindergarten. What is an anthropologist? Anthropologist is a, a scientist in the social scientist department who studies culture and uh, language. Ah, well, so you must know more than one language. Uh, yes, I, I've <laughs> had to learn many languages. Now, I, one of the, the things I want to get, I mean, this is a true crime show. We, we're going to talk about how some of these different cultures, especially some native cultures, deal with crime and apparent behavior within the framework of uh, their cultures. But I recall, I know you've been all sorts of places, but when I first met you, which must have been oh, decades ago now, uh, you had re just returned from being in the rainforest. Is that a Brazilian rainforest? It was in Cameroon. Cameroon, Af Africa? Cameroonian. Yes. Is it true that it's like being in a green bubble, that it's like, you know, like a science fiction movie? <laughs> well, the green bubble refers to how the tribesmen uh, uh, navigate through the jungle. Uh, there is no horizon. There's no distance. So they have to memorize from tree to tree. And as they move, the green, the green bubble of, uh, of familiarity moves with them. That's very similar to how we get along in Hollywood. <laughs> You have to memorize tree trunks? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Many trunks. Yeah. And, the and there's lots of different tribes, and do the different tribes have, like, different areas of specialization? <laughs> yes. The, the Intuma were a, 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 are a people that, that when you ask them, uh, what are you good at, they, they preface everything with a big, long list of what they're not good at. And uh, they, they say that if you want dancing, you go to the Mbai people. And if you want, um, you know, music, you go somewhere else. But when you corner them to actually define who they are, they said that the only thing they have to offer mankind is wisdom. Wow. So uh, you being the man that you are, ask the foolish question, what's that? <laughs> Did you ask well, them for wisdom? Said, yes. Well, you know, strangely, anyone, if asked this question in America, 
cannot allude to their own wisdom. It's like a taboo we have. But in, in Cameroon, it was just a, a skill that everyone had. Um, but when asked to define what wisdom was, and I pause here for you to think what the answer might be, um, they would say that wisdom is the appropriate use of knowledge. Does knowing how to say the right thing at the right time or not say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Knowing what's appropriate is much more important than having knowledge in, in their mind. So what is the, uh, what, what's the big takeaway from, from these guys? What did you take away? Besides the towels. Uh, well, yeah, you grab the towels and the uh, soap, little soap bars. <laughs> uh, we didn't have those kind of uh, hotels. Oh, I didn't think so, <laughs> Joseph. That was the joke, but that's okay. <laughs> no, um, what I learned there is that most of what my training in university uh, was useless. And that um, the first half of my time was unlearning what I had learned in school. So, for, for instance, oh, just that the that the concept of, uh, of of what wisdom was, what knowledge was, uh, how people can uh, resolve problems, and uh, in, in, as we're going to speak about in this program, how to deal with crime. Well, how many people were in this tribe? Was it, you know, like six, 25,000 or six? Uh, I estimated there's about 40,000 spread over a large area of what is called the Intem River Basin. Do they have like houses or like uh, mobile homes or huts or where they got there? Pizza huts. They had, they had the ultimate temporary housing. They would build a, a hut out of daub and wattle, and this is basically mud sticks uh, with a thatched roof. Uh, and then wait for the termites to eat it to death and for it to fall down. Then they would build right next door and let the termites finish their meal. So they had a, a couple more years before the termites noticed that there was a, a, a new meal next door. I'm trying to uh, find the wisdom in all of this. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the termites loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many people lived in these? I mean, it's like one hut per family. Did you have, like, rich people that had, like, a double-wide hut? <laughs> there were three. It's an eighteen wheeler, bro. There were there are three kinds of huts, and a word for each one of them in their language. And basically, it translated as woman's house, man's house, and meeting house. Oh, now there's the wisdom right there. I got it all worked out now. A man and woman live in a different house. We're good to go. There we go. No, it's, it's not what you think. No, it's, it's uh, <laughs> so the the woman's house is the big house. And yeah, no everyone, yeah, that figures. <laughs> and everyone lives there. And there, there are multiple uh, families uh, living under one roof, uh, maybe four or five uh, fires and sleeping for like ten people. All activities have to happen there. Meals, socializing, everything. The men will build this tiny little outhouse-like structure. That's where the, the man lives in the outhouse. That's good. <laughs> this is just where like the, America. The men are, are banned from the... Um, uh, the big house, they go and take refuge in the man house. Now, why is that? Because, like, their wife kicks them out? Well, see, marriage there is not like marriage in other places in the world. It's not contractual. <laughs> it's not based upon ink. It's based upon the continuous good comportment of men. You, you see, wait, wait, wait. Back, see, back, back up. It's based on the continual good deportment of men as long as the men behave themselves they're married. Yeah. That's how it works. 
by the way, by the way, the wisdom is seeping through like a gushing wind. <laughs> Seriously, they they seem to be the smartest people I've I've, I've come upon. We are stupid here. <laughs> You understand? When it comes to this, the men live in the same house. Impossible. That's number one, okay? Uh, number two, men don't know enough to behave themselves. We're like idiots. Well, there's a men view and a woman's view. And so when I was doing research there, I would go and hang out with the men. And they would uh, they would tell me things about life, and but from their, their, their vantage point. So I would ask them, tell me about polygamy. I mean... Uh, do do you actually have multiple wives? I mean, is it permitted in your tribe? And they said in a this very long answer about, oh, yes, it's all dependent upon resources and connections and family. But I realized that none of them had more than one wife. And so I would go and ask uh, the women. Um, the men say that polygamy is possible in your tribe, but, but what do you think? And they said that... Um, Really? What did they say? And so I, I recounted the story of men, how the men had to uh, have certain resources and have connections and things. And they said, um, so they, uh, the men said they could actually have more than one wife. I said, that's right. He said, just let them try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wisdom. <God. laughs> I need a plane ticket. I'm going there. <laughs> It's all defined. Yeah. Pretty- so uh, none of these men apparently had the resources. Well, it wasn't, that's not the, the criteria. The criteria was that the um, the women ran things. Yeah, they, that's they, they just they like here. They weren't. Yeah, they were, yeah, but they weren't. Men can think that they're going to have multiple wives, but it's just not going to happen. So, is it a matriarchal society? The women really do run everything. It wasn't matriarchal. How it was described to me is that men who meet in the in the the meeting house uh, are the tribal elders, and they will you know judge. Uh, crimes and uh, solve problems and stuff, but the women are not allowed to speak in that inside that hut. So when I asked, "Well, what influence do you have?" and they said, "You know, the men have to sleep sometime, and it's uh, <laughs> it's very powerful just to whisper in their ear." Ah, the old pillow talk routine. So the women uh, have subtle influences, kind of like perennial Mataharis. <laughs> Yes, but nicer. But nicer, but nicer. Uh, now, what uh, to go to this place, and you didn't know the language, and they don't know you, how do you break the ice and gain their trust and all that stuff? Well, I, I went with a, um, a young translator uh, who spoke English, and he, he was from a, a neighboring city about, a, a, about a, an hour and a half away on a motorcycle. Uh, this, is a, this is a part of the deep jungle where they're just, ruts in the road to travel on. And so we went there to establish contact. Uh, this tribe is called Ntumu. And uh, the, he, he swore that he spoke Ntumu. But what he spoke was a, a, a related language called Bulu. Sounds so similar. Ask, <laughs> well, how similar is the issue here? Uh, so when I asked if I could stay in the village for uh, a year, um, he didn't know the word for stay in their language, so he used the word live. Now, you and I interchange these words in English all the time, you know, but in their language, to stay was to be in a place, and to live was not to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Can he not be dead here? <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, 
they immediately organized initiation rites to see if I could actually live in the village. What did they did you have to like run a gauntlet or something? I had to paddle upstream in a on the on the river at uh, flood stage, not with not without a paddle but with a stick. And this is a a dugout canoe that you know looks and weighs about the size of an El Dorado, and I by myself. <laughs> And uh, the goal was, if I could make it upstream, that I could stay in the village. But when my translator said, well, what if he can't make it upstream? They said, well, then uh, then downstream. (laughs) So either way, you're all right. They they said, there is no waterfall for nothing. And and so after after I, I, I... survived the, the, the ordeal. Did you go over the waterfall um, or did you make it upstream? <laughs> I, I went downstream with them and they showed me the, the big waterfall. And they, he, they said that, you know, this solves lots of problems, uh, you know. <laughs> I would imagine so. Did you go over the waterfall or did you make it the other way? I made it. I made it. Yeah, I had some um, bruises and bloody hands, but I made it. So then you were officially like a, like a member of the tribe, or simply this was uh, allowing you to live there? I could live. That's what I could do. But while I was there, I actually got to observe uh, a lot of interesting uh, social uh, achievements that they have. They don't have a lot of technology as we know it, but they have a lot of social technology, social inventions. Such like as? Like how to solve problems between people who have conflict. Oh, that's good. Give us uh, give us some insight into that. So they they have adopted the Kemper Trago method. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's uh, probably not that. <laughs> what uh, how, what do they do? Well, you know, what, in our uh, judicial system in America, they the whole purpose of a trial is to determine guilt. If you if you live in a village, there is no doubt about who's guilty. Um, so that's they don't have those kinds of trials. They, but they do have meetings that would look like a sentencing uh, part of, of the, the like judicial a, process. A sentencing hearing, as we call it here. Yes. And so, you know, in the village, you know, if if you sneeze, everyone says, you know, I mean, it, there's no secrets. Okay, so one day, a goat uh, comes up missing. Uh-oh. And, uh, and, a, and a goat is basically communal property. And, uh, of course, you know, it's not hard to see, you know, who's cooking goat that day. And so, <laughs> and so they, uh, they have a meeting, and, and I'm invited to go to it. And the, the, the crime that they're addressing is not thinking in a collective way. They're not looking after the, the needs of the, the whole tribe. And that uh, he was never asked, did you steal the goat? You know, everyone knew he stole the goat. But what was... What they started to uh, to address was why has he done this? Why has he resorted to selfishness without actually sharing what he has? Did they serve go- it- Did they serve goat cheese and, and uh, crackers at this uh, meeting? No, this is the part of Africa where everyone is, is lo- lactose intolerant. No cheese anywhere. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so what what happens is that uh, they actually investigate what went wrong in his education that he would, would resort, resort to something that was so selfish. Yes, it was the whole, the, the crime was that the whole, the whole village had let the boy down. Uh, they had not spent enough time in the apprenticeship of life to teach him moral 
you know, verities. Uh, uh, so what do they do in that situation? Well, there is no, there's no punishment that they can, uh, they can impose because he's the one who knows how to build canoes. You, you can't exile him from the village. What you have to do is you have to rehabilitate him and everyone else around him. So he's still integrated into the community, but but the the whole purpose is that to have this never be repeated, not just only in his life, but in anyone's life. So how do they do that, or how do they attempt to do that? Well, they it, it's about social education. Um, people discuss things with what are called the uh, the proverbs of the rainforest. They're um, little uh, units of knowledge uh, that that are equivalent to what we'd call a proverb. And uh, the entire society's knowledge base was, was centered on, the, on these expressions of, of wisdom. And they would, you know, find the right one to address the problem. But there's no punishment. So has this particular tribe uh, been exposed to the basic tenets of uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic? Yes, they have, and uh, they tell great stories about the, the coming of missionaries, and um, and it's, it's actually quite quite funny. Is that, uh, that when they tell the story, they're, they're all vying uh, of who's going to tell the best part of what happened when the first missionaries arrived. <laughs> yes, I want to. I want to hear this. <laughs> so basically, this well, is the story. Well, they were quite story. tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so some American missionaries, Baptists, I believe, arrived on the coast of Africa. Uh, in the mid 1800s, they converted the local tribe, which then con- which moved it farther into the jungle, and started to convert a major tribe, who took up the uh, the task of uh, Christianizing everyone they knew, and they got a little farther into the jungle and came across the Intuwu people, and so these um, these missionaries uh, were invited to sit to just sit down with the tribe. They gathered the tribe together. And they explained what Christianity was. And at the end of the meeting, the missionary said, Okay, so are you ready to be baptized? Are you ready to, you know, to join the, the, the fellowship of Christ? And they said, No, 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 thank you. And uh, they said, But, but why? He says, Well, you've told me what you are, and uh, we're not that. And uh, they said, Well, what, why? What, what's wrong with it? He said, Well, you have some very strange beliefs. He said that you know, God created things. And that's certainly not the case. God didn't create things. God created the processes that allow things to come into being. That's wisdom. God is not the God, God, is not the God of products, but of process. And so the missionary said, oh, really? He said, yeah, and it gets worse, they said. You know, you said that God created things and he stopped. We have to stop for 60 seconds for a commercial okay. break. <laughs> we'll be right back and find out more words of wisdom for the rainforest. Be right back. Hey, gang, this is Lori Downey Jr., and I've got a message just for you. If you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning, and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. 
Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear, and what they say about me is what they said about serial killer Robert Lee Ace Jr. He seemed so normal. By day, Robert Lee Ace Jr. was a respected father of five, helicopter pilot, served in Desert Storm National Guard, a man no one would suspect of having a deadly hidden life. By night, he prowled the streets where prostitutes gathered, gaining their trust before betraying them with a bullet to the head. On August 26, 1997, cops found two dead girls in Spokane, Washington. Within months, four more women were added to the death toll. In 2000, this guy pled guilty to at least 13 murders to avoid the death penalty. He was convicted of two more murders. He's now on death row in Washington State. But they got to wait till he serves the 400 years in jail for the others before they can kill him. The book is called Body Count by, yes, Burl Bear. It came out just, well, day before yesterday. It's brand new, updated, snazzy new cover, cool pictures, and is available in paperback or as an instant download for any ebook format. And in the ebook format, there are bonus photographs not found in the paper. Paperback edition. Body Count by Burl Bear from Kensington, Pinnacle, True Crime. We're talking to Joseph Shepard. He was an anthropologist. He studies cultures, and he was in the rainforest, and he's telling us about when the missionaries came and tried to convert this tribe to Christianity, and, and the, uh, the natives were explaining why they were passing on this wonderful offer. What were the other reasons they had? Well, they... They uh, were mystified that why God would uh, would uh, spend seven days creating things top. Um, they they uh, informed the uh, missionaries that uh, this was not the case. That if you understand that God is the God of process, then the things He sets into motion continue creating forever. So, needless to say, the missionaries didn't achieve their goal and returned to the coast. <laughs> Sad with their tails between their legs. Sounds like these uh, this tribe is indeed wise. I especially love the process thing. That's great. So they uh, uh, they have what they have kind of their, their own animus sort of uh, thing going on. They uh, they uh, there's not they're not necessarily animus. Uh, they just understand that they have nothing to say about God that, that, that describes anything other than themselves. And they would actually say, well, you know, why talk about something that's beyond you? Uh, we recognize that God exists, and um, and that's just about all we know. So they go about it's their re- business. Yeah. How'd they get along but, with other tribes? So is there any, like, intertribal uh, problems? Well, you know, this is one of those rare times for me as an anthropologist to actually stumble upon a, a, a group of people that actually were nonviolent. They actually were amazingly nonviolent. They didn't. Uh, they didn't strike their children. They didn't raise their voices to their children. They didn't, you know, raise a hand to their wives. Um, they solved every kind of problem through discussion, and uh, even arguments were just amazing. One man would be sitting uh, doing some work, and and he said, "You know, I've been thinking about something." And the other man said, "Yes, what was that?" And he'd say, "Well, I believe such and such." And then I says, "Well, I don't necessarily see that the same way." And and little by little, 
they stop working and they start to stand up. And rather than speak, they begin to orate. They begin to give speeches to each other. <laughs> and at the end, they just stop. They hug each other, sit back down, go back to work. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sounds like my office. <laughs> it does. Yeah, people can agree to differ. <clears throat> Did they ever have any problems? Well, obviously, they're not having uh, domestic violence uh, issues. Uh, homicide must be very rare. Um, no, I, I never actually saw any uh, violence that was that, that would that would have. No, I didn't see any violence at all. Um, but uh, people did die. That happens. But uh, that when a person died, it was actually quite amazing. One day, I was in the. In the field, working with some uh, some uh, tribesmen, and there was a daily routine. You get up at the dawn, you sharpen your machete, you go out and cut some weeds down, and then about noon, uh, this everyone stopped working. They looked at each other in silence, and they started packing up to go back to the village. And I thought, wait a minute, why, why are we going back? This is what we have to go back to the village. I said, but it's not it's not the time to go back. They said, no, we have to go back and, and bury the chief. And I, I said. We have to bury the chief. I said, you know, you know. I said, why do we have to bury him? He said, well, he's dead. And I said, well, are you sure? Because I, I tried to think. No one came up. No one gave news. The talking drums had not sounded. It was complete silence when they, they all started, stopped working. And, and as we started back, I said, how is it you know that the, the chief is dead? And they all stopped and looked at me and said, how is it you don't know he's dead? Ooh. Because they have, because they assumed that everyone had the same kind of connection with each other, and that I was really some kind of spiritual uh, handicapped person, which they had to kind of build ramps now for in the village. So did they they have some kind of um, uh, a sense that he had passed while they were out working. No, they they just felt the absence of him. And that the a burial uh, takes a, a good half a day. They have to dig into the ground and uh, get uh, and find a place that's between the, the the huts, because the the jungle just takes over very quickly. So they dig down into the laterite soil, which is very red, and they have uh, made a coffin for the body and placed it in the ground and filled filled the the ground up uh, the hole up about halfway, and then the whole tribe gathers around the half filled hole with two bottles in their hand, green bottles that were um, left over from the smuggling of about uh, you know, 50 years ago. And uh, they sing songs, and at a certain point, they all reach their bottles over the hole and, and, and smash them together and let the shards fall into the hole. And I said, why do you do that? And they said, well, we don't have grave markers. It'll just be flat ground between the huts. And after a while, people will forget where people are buried. And when you dig down to build a new hut, if you hit a, a layer of green glass, you stop. Ah, smart. Very smart. I like these people. <laughs> now you, these people obviously didn't pose too much uh, intersocial problems of crime and stealing, except for the goat. Uh, and they seem to all really care about each other. You've probably been some other places where it wasn't like that at all. Besides America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, but, other, um, what other kind of places have you been and tribes you've encountered? Uh, I've been to a, a neighboring country to theirs called Equatorial Guinea, 
which uh, was in the midst of uh, a revolution. Um, you know, the uncle had overthrown the, um, the nephew had overthrown the uncle, and uh, there was a civil war, no infrastructure for about 10 years. I found myself the only American in the country with no embassy, and, uh, and, and they were engaged in civil war the entire time I was doing archaeology there. So are you digging digging up old dead mummies? <laughs> no, this is where the underwater um, oh, part you, of my life were, happened. What were you doing underwater? I was looking for uh, submerged uh, uh, villages. They were only in five meters of water. And, wow. Uh, and so I would go down and map. But uh, it was, it was uh, very dangerous at times because the civil... The participants in the Civil War would... Um, uh, shoot at each other uh, on a regular basis between 10 o'clock in the morning till about noon when they took a, a break. And it, during that time, my daughter and I, who was uh, about eight at that time, uh, would hide in a cave and, uh, and wait for the, uh, you know, the smoke to clear until we can go back out and uh, do some more surveying. Wow. Were you ever in danger, like, real danger of being killed in all this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a place where... Um, <laughs> Where it, they were not the, the, the nice tribe in the jungle, they were they were quite vicious. But uh, you, you don't always get the best tribe in anthropologists. It really is quite a, a lottery. I mean, how did you decide to go there? I mean, did someone say, "Hey, uh, Joseph, we're sending you to where they're having a civil war and everybody's killing each other"? Go underwater and find missing villages. Oh, I, I actually um, uh, made a mistake in my in my um, <laughs> big <research>. one. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of embarrassing to reveal, but uh, I decided I was going to go to this neighboring country called Equatorial Guinea because I already spoke. I was going to go and just do something. And, um, and so I packed up my family, and I arrived in the neighboring and I asked, okay, where's the flight to, uh, to Equatorial Guinea? And they said, uh, oh, you can't from here. It's like, like what, Winnie the Pooh thing. And I said, well, I have a ticket. They said, show me this ticket. And they... They looked at this ticket, and it was a fictitious airline. A fictitious airline? Did agent. you pay money for this ticket on the fictitious airline? I did. <laughs> oh, God. You really got some taken. Very, very interesting <laughs> man in, in a travel agency made up a, an airline that had never existed and booked me on a flight, took my money. And, oh, uh, that's a crime. <laughs> so was it a first-class <laughs> ticket? <laughs> at least. Did you, did you at least get first-class? Yeah, you get a meal. Well, you must have been—you must have been a little bit peeved when you found out you've been sold a ticket on a non-existent airline. The, the, the man said, "Well, you can't get there anyway." And I said, "Well, I could just take a boat, and you can probably see the island from from the coast here." And uh, they said, "Well, you, it's closed. The country's closed." And I said, "Like closed for lunch? What is it, what, what's closed mean?" They said, "No, they have a revolution there." And I said, "Really?" It's somehow in my study. My preparation, I had missed the fact that they had a civil war there. <laughs> and so, he said, and I, said, I said, no, it'll be okay. I have a visa, I said. They said, oh, show us the visa. And so I, I showed them my passport, and they said, where did you get this visa from? I said, well, you know, Equatorial gets... You get it from the same place you got the ticket? <laughs> no, they don't actually have an embassy in the United States. So I sent it to the United Nations and, and to their delegation, and they, they, they issued me a visa. And they, they all looked at each other knowingly and said, oh, the government in exile. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> you are just being screwed in every direction on this trip, pal. Which can be fun on occasion. Yeah. 
So, I mean, but you decided to go do this anyway. I mean, here you've been sold a bogus ticket on a non-existent airline, given a bogus visa to a country in the midst of a civil war with no infrastructure, and everybody is killing each other except between noon and one when they stop for lunch, and you and your eight-year-old daughter are going there? Yeah. um, (laughs) (laughs) Makes perfect sense. No, no. Actually, there was a reason I went there. I waited four years in Cameroon for them to have their counter-revolution. And uh, so when it opened, I wrote the president of the country, the new president, and and offered my services as an anthropologist because I had done all this preparation work to go there. And so I got this invitation to come. So I, I... I got on, on a plane, and I, now I, I can actually get there. Uh, I arrive, and uh, I have a meeting with, the, with the, the first or second, I can't remember, vice president of the country. And uh, he said, um, what can you do for us? And I said, well, you know, I've studied uh, language and archaeology. He said, oh, archaeology, yes, yes. And uh, I said, well, do you have an archaeological need here? Yes. He said, how would you like to be the, uh, the curator of the National Museum? I said, well, that would look nice on my resume. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> sure. Go for that. <laughs> and, and he said, okay, I now pronounce you, you know, you're, you're, I'll, I'll get some documents to you. Um, you're now the curator. So we're sitting in the office there, and I'm saying to myself, so what am I, what am I supposed to do? So I said, sir, what was my first task as your curator? He said, find the museum. <laughs> find the museum. <laughs> they didn't know where it was? No, because they had taken the, the, the city had been under under fire, and you know it, it was like you know it was like Gaza. It had been blown up, and so I had I had to go locate it, excavate it, and re, and, and help rebuild it. That was my job. Wow. Well, did they have a budget? Did you have to pay for this out of your pocket? No, I had to actually raise the funds myself. Wow. But at least you look good on your resume. Um, Burrow. Oh, yeah. Burrow. Uh, who really could good. use some archaeological services in the bar? Yes, here in the Lighten Up Lounge. <laughs> if you, we could be our curator. <laughs> there there yes. are probably guests from 12 years ago that are buried under something here. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> yes. well, it's highly possible. Yes. Hey, uh, uh, Joseph, tell me about a day in Slovakia. What do, what do you do? Well, uh... I uh, manage a, a development project here. Um, first of all, Slovakia is in Central uh, Europe. Right. Um, it's about 10 years old, the, the, the country, or 20, 20 years old now. And um, it's a, a former communist um, state. Um, the people are really, really nice, which is really good. But it's, it's like the second poorest country in the uh, Eurozone. Um, so an average day is we live in a... Uh, a flat on a uh, probably designed by Stalin, and uh, it's a very very small place. And I get up and I go to a school, and I uh, I manage uh, about 500 students and and 20 or so uh, teachers, and uh, who are all learning languages not that are uh, that are useful to them. Because Slovak as a language is completely useless. Even no there. one in the world speaks this language. Do they speak it there? They speak it here, but it's one of the most complicated languages in the world. More than Chinese or Japanese? Well, uh, they 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 claim it is more more complex than that. What's complex is this kind of 
convoluted grammar they have. So give, a, give, us a, give us a transliterated example. <laughs> so a, a conversation would be here. You have two Slovaks talking to each other. They will interrupt their conversation and ask each other, how do we say this in our language? In their own Before language. Go on. Como se dice en español? No, they, they, they all learn Spanish in a weekend. It's great. So they can't speak their own language, so they're learning other ones. Is it a problem? Is it a problem with tenses, like past, present, future? Because in some languages, there's no word for uh, standing still. It's like uh, the if the if the canoe is on the beach, it's the canoe is moving on the beach, even if it's standing still. You know what I mean? Yeah, they have those kind of things too. They have all these declensions left over from from the. They, when they Latinized the language in the, eight, in the 800s. Um, but uh, they have uh, four genders. Well, so uh, do we. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, but they don't have the same four genders. <laughs> uh, what are the four genders they have? Well, they have the, the neuter, which is like it. And they have uh, females. And then they have two kinds of males. Um. Guys, with, guys, alive, with the, guys that kept dead. the money and guys that didn't. What, the douchebags and... One is alive and one is dead. Oh, one, oh, one, 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 one is dead. dead, okay. <laughs> you can't do that with women? <laughs> so all women are either all dead or all alive? No, oh, it, they're it, alive. Women are just women. It doesn't matter if they're alive or dead in their language. But it does with men. <laughs> Sounds Now, what, how do they deal with crime there? Just shoot you in the street? Oh, they have some amazing, uh, very modern uh, ways of approaching crime. For example, they have a, there's a drug problem everywhere in Europe. Uh, but here, they don't have to prove intent for, uh, for drug dealers. It's possession. So if you, if you have on you any amount of, of, uh, of a substance that's prohibited, you are as guilty as the person who produces it, transports it, sells it, resells it. They don't have to prove intent, and the crime and the crime is always the same punishment. Has always the same punishment: five years. That's so uh... if you you're carrying a kilo or a truckload, it's the, it's the same it's the same period of time. They probably have a lot of people in prison. Uh, fewer than you would imagine. Well, it's not like they're in Amsterdam. No, it, it, it does deter people here. Or maybe just the price. I bet things are expensive there. The, the cost of living here is about the same as, 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 as America. The, the wages are about half. Well, what do you do for fun over there? Ski. Uh, fun, yes. I, I, guess I, I used to know what that meant. Fun, yes. <laughs> What does one do for um, fun? I write. I write books. But what do um, normal people I, do? Yeah, you see a movie, oh, what, what, climb a mountain. People, oh, that's different. Go There's hiking, a, walks on the beach that don't exist. What, what, what do you do? It's a landlocked country. I know. Um, but <clears> the thing is that the greeting between the normal greeting and language is "ahoy." <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, really, it's "ahoy" is, is the uh, you know is the, how you say hello. Um, In but, my language, uh, it's oy vey. 
Yeah, it's a... But, uh, we have to take another 60-second break, clean your Skype, and we'll be right back in 60 seconds. Folks, what's great about this country is our belief that anyone can make it and everybody should be able to try. This is the land of opportunity. That's great. But here's the problem. That's unacceptable to me. And it will not happen on my watch. I will not support any plan to promote hiring and put more money in the pockets of people. And I will veto any bill to grow the economy and deal with the debt that threatens our future. Our tax code shouldn't give an advantage to companies that invest in the United States of America and create jobs in the United States of America. We have to cripple our competitiveness and our ability to win the jobs of the future. I think it's just the right thing to do. That's been true since our founding. George Washington grappled with this problem. I'm quoting him. He said, we've got to stack the deck against small business owners and ordinary families. And I was encouraged by that. So I am ready, I am eager to punish success in America. Thank you very much. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. And I am the legendary Burl Bear with Howard Lapidus, Mark Boyer, our special guest, Joseph Shepard, live from Slovakia via Skype, where he is freezing his tukas just in time for Hanukkah. Uh, do they have Hanukkah over there in Slovakia? Uh, no, they don't. Um, unfortunately, um, during the Second World War, almost all the Jews were killed Oh, here. That's not good. Turn up uh, Howard's microphone. No. Hey, uh, Matt, um, Howard's microphone. It's intentional. Oh, it's intentional? <laughs> he was going to fix it. Okay. As long as I know that it's an intentional uh, act act from our producer, I have no problem with that. <laughs> uh, you can start Hanukkah starting uh, right now, if you like. If you, We could uh, uh, make one of the boys just go get two candles, one a shamus and one the first one. Tonight's the first night. Yeah, and Mark's got a great recipe for potato latkes. He's still telling it to us. It's the world's most complex recipe. Yeah. They must have potato latkes there, don't they? They have lots of things uh, made of potatoes here. Like their houses? (laughs) Uh, Mostly their vodka is made of of potatoes here. Ah, there you go. There you go. They're heavily into that. Because, you know, my my daughter, Anea, who you met probably 20-some years ago, was in... uh, uh, Chelyabinsk, at the foot of the Ural Mountains in uh, wherever the hell that is, Russia. <laughs> That's the name of the place. Yes. And they'd had a nuclear accident there uh, many years earlier that didn't get any publicity. But they had told the people who worked uh, and lived in that town that there was an antidote for uh, radiation poisoning, and that was vodka. And everyone was issued a bottle of vodka in case of radiation poisoning. And they actually believed this. And so despite... We have the same thing here... Yeah. We have uh, people come. Uh, well, first of all, we're we're only about uh, ten miles from a nuclear plant here in Ternova, and uh, we can, you can see the plume um, every morning. But uh, every year they will come and uh, knock on your door and say, "Do you have enough iodine tablets?" And uh, like that's going to you know save you. But there's a a series of loud speakers throughout the town 
that every Friday at noon sound and say, everything's fine, nothing wrong with, with the reactor, everything's good, go back to work. Wow. How long do you plan on staying there? Until he grows a third arm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, water faucet going out of my forehead. What? Uh, no, seriously, Joseph, how long do you plan on staying? Is this a lifelong mission well, now? Uh, no, uh, Jan and I are going to be here till we're dead. Um, that would be a lifelong as, mission. As, as, well, that could be next week <laughs> if something goes wrong with the uh, nuclear plant. Are you gonna, right. I could bury you well, and smash some wine bottles over about halfway down? <laughs> no, they actually just put you in the ground and then light candles, though, uh, every Halloween. What is the... Uh, I assume you have been to a variety of places other than Equatorial Guinea and uh, the Cameroon Rainforest and uh, uh, Slovakia. What is the weirdest place you've been, or the most, aside from the rainforest? New York. <laughs> aside from New York. <laughs> I've been a lot, of, a lot of strange places, but uh, after a while they become familiar. I've uh, lived on islands in the Caribbean, uh, throughout Central America, uh, a couple of countries in South America. Uh, Uzbekistan was interesting. Mm. Uh, Why was that but, so interesting? Uh, but for the five years preceding my coming to Slovakia, I worked with the... Uh, Native Americans in Oregon, and they were interesting. Did you go to the Madras Indian Reservation there? Uh, I was at the Warm Springs uh, Reservation. Yeah, they have casinos there. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they do. Yeah, that's what I thought. I love the uh, the uh, reservation with the Madras Reservation. Because under the treaty, the native peoples have all the mineral and all the water rights. And they have the big hydroelectric uh, power plant there is on the native property, which the natives built. And uh, an acquaintance of mine is the treaty administrator. I said, what the, what the heck job is that? He says, well, you know, a, tr a treaty with the native peoples is just like a treaty with another nation. And part of the deal is we defend them if they are uh, someone tries to invade or attack. I said, well, who's going to try to invade or attack? And he laughed and he said, the state. Every few years they get a new governor who thinks, we'll take those water rights, we'll take those mineral rights. And then he has to step in and say, no, you can't do that. I said, but they are, they're always trying. Yes, this is a great issue. I mean, uh, I know this person uh, personally who, who does this, and it's a full-time job with a huge staff just to ward off the rights invasions. So, so there really are concerted efforts ongoing by, what, state governments, county governments, or God knows who? In, you know, it's, it's, it's politics, and it, and it changes. But uh, the, the Indians there were, um, had a long understanding that um, no one actually looked after their uh, rights better than themselves. Duh. They figured that out, huh? <laughs> I was just out at the casino uh, last night on the uh, the beginning casino about uh, eighty miles from here, because the uh, my lady likes to play the, the penny penny slot machines. You got to travel eighty miles to play penny slots. Well, where with there's not one close to Santa Clarita, and she wants to play those penny slots. Okay. So we go down there, and well, you can go to Palmdale. They uh, there's one in Palmdale. Now you tell me. Let's check it out. <laughs> the place is packed. And the slots are are tighter than the women, probably. I mean, this, this they are making money like you wouldn't believe. They're making a fortune, taking back America one light bulb at a time. Well, you know my story, and Joseph, you'll appreciate this. Uh, somewhere around 1979, they uh, 
the uh, there was a tribe somewhere that saved up all their money and they got one of their young tribesmen into Harvard. And he went through, wow. right through Harvard and went through Harvard Law School and came back to the reservation and went to one of the, the meetings. And he's sitting in the back and he's got the books open and uh, he's listening to the meeting go and he's just trying to raise his hand and get the chief's attention. He gets the chief's attention. He says, uh, Chief, you know, I was just studying this uh, this deal we made with the uh, the Americans back in the day. And uh, it says here, right here, gambling's okay on the reservations. And, and uh, the uh, investment they made in this kid is paid off by billions and billions of dollars because they found out that uh, they're going to take back America one casino at a time. And, and they're doing well, it. The, well, the transition here um, uh, is, uh, it sounds very similar to that, is that when they gave up communism and, and then all swore that they would embrace capitalism, the only, the only model of capitalism that they incorporated was to put a casino a very small casino like a like one or two slot machines uh in a re- in a restaurant on every corner you know mm-hmm. it, it's called roulette capitalism yeah <laughs> that probably works for them well you know it after a while people run out of money <laughs> true i've seen people do that so you live in what used to be the old ussr correct no it, it was one of the satellites Okay. Not a, not the but Georgia it, satellite, so. No, it wasn't part of the, 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 the main block, but it was it was one of the ones that uh, the Russians had some influence over. And do they still have any kind of influence? No, not so whatsoever. There's a, if you talk to people on the street, uh, if they're 60 or 70 years old, they, their second language will be Russian. And then there's a generation of, of uh, German speakers, and now everyone is learning English. Hmm. Well, as well they should. Now, the country, you know, I don't have a map in front of you, but the countries that are around Afghanistan that were part of the Soviet Union, or that the, the Soviets had been in uh, successfully, shall we say, uh, unlike Afghanistan, have incredible infrastructures. Uh, apparently, the Soviets put a lot of money into roads and, and really building the countries up. And they have nuclear reactors, which no one seems too concerned about. Uh, and yet, They build those so well. Yeah, and... Uh, but Afghanistan's a dump. <laughs> Don't go there. You can't go there. Well, uh, my uh, daughter was offered a gig there. You can't go there. You haven't been able to go there since 1975. And, if you, and when you get there, what do you do? Yeah, there's a couple of resorts. You well, play. there's an infidel night. <laughs> yeah. It's really not good. <laughs> Have you thought That's of fun. going to Afghanistan, Joseph? It might just be you know up your proverbial alley. No. Uh, no, I'm no. I'm old enough now to not want to go places there you uh, go. that are no, dangerous. That's, that's very smart. Now, do you ever travel back? Do you ever get any vacations where you come back to the uh, to, to California, your old stomping grounds? About two every two years, I I make a trip back, and uh, and I visit. Uh, you know, my, my dad's still alive, and uh, you know, my ancestors are cowboys, but but that's not how I dress or behave here. Um, and so he's that kind of, would, um, would, would walking around in, in Slovakia like a cowboy play well? No, it wouldn't. No, and so <laughs> I, I wear this little beret on my head and, uh, and a long black coat that blends in nicely with the rest of the well, I'm drab thinking, scenery. I'm thinking more of a Tony Moreno, you yeah. know, uh, Saturday Night Fever look. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the white suit. Where, where in <laughs> Southern California are you from? Uh, I was born in the, in the, the middle in Merced. Uh, but I spent most of my time in the Mojave Desert. 
Oh, okay. Why, were you being punished? No. <laughs> he was practicing. Many people in Victorville and Victorville think that, yeah. Oh, Victorville. I, I just drove through Victorville not too long ago, and it's hardly anything there. They say they, if you ever find yourself in Victorville, just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I, was in, I was in Bakersfield last night. That was a thrill. Hey, you could go to Barstow. They still have a drive-in movie there. Barstow is very cool, because if you're in Bar- Barstow, at least you know you're almost at Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that's the that once, that's, once you see the turnoff that says Barstow, you know you're you're heading towards Vegas. Yeah, and that's why it exists in Barstow. That's right. Because you know, it, 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 you know, two things with tanks uh, had limitations, like the human bladder and the gas tank on a car, <laughs> and you needed a place to, to you know, drain one and fill the other. There you go. <laughs> and therein, that's the that's the Barstow that's right on the sign. <laughs> drain one, fill the <laughs> other. Population six. <laughs> What's it? Well, uh, there's uh, one little town on the way. It was named. You can't even pronounce it. It's all. It's all. Uh, uh, Zizix. Zizix. Thank you. That's how you pronounce it. Mark C G Boyer. No. Yes. God bless, bless you. you. Gesundheit. Yeah. Gesundheit. Again with the Gesundheit. Zizix. What language is that? It's 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 made up English. Mm. It's a word a word that means the last word in the dictionary. What a great word. Really. Yep. Yeah. Is that that is in fact the last word of the dictionary? I don't know about that, but that's what it means. Well, I, I, Joseph Shepard says so. I'm I believe name it. a company that. that that's very cool. I like that. <laughs> Just keep sneezing, Mark. CG, yeah. that's okay. Joseph, well, we, this we, is uh, what, should, a, what a pleasure. I, if when you get back to California and you you go visiting uh, and you pop down in this area, would you come and visit us live? I would really love to sit down with you and you your can, beret. And you can whole... visit us dead, and we'll bring an anthropologist. <laughs> well, <laughs> then we'll start cracking bottles and. We've got plenty of bottles here to crack. There's this is plenty of vodka here, Joseph. Uh, if you like vodka, there's just no shortage of the delicious uh, Tito's vodka, which, by the way, you wouldn't know about. It is uh, made in Austin, Texas, and it is probably oh. one of the finest vodkas I've ever had. I don't think Joseph's a drinker. You don't drink, do you, Joseph? I don't drink, and, and, and it's it's like uh, like very strange when I have conversations with Slovaks who drink every day. Every day. Um, uh, but when I say... No, no, thank you. I, I don't drink alcohol. They say, "Well, here, have a beer instead," because yeah. because the word alcohol in their language means anything that has forty percent alcohol or greater. So that's beer, what, that's the word, what the word means. Beer is uh, lightweight to them. It's like a, it's like a <laughs> Dr Pepper with a kick to it. You'll come see us, though, won't you? I will. That's great. What a pleasure speaking with you and listening to your stories, and we wish you the finest of uh, right. that life has to bring. And don't get arrested. We don't want to do a true, true crime show about you. No, no, no. no. Under, yeah. uh, okay, thanks, Beryl. Thank, thank you, you very much. And, uh, he, bye-bye. 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 He, has, uh, he does have some uh, monographs and books available on uh, Amazon.com. Lots of read about the uh, rape. He writes a whole bunch of these little books. Yep. That are great for kids, too. Anyway, uh, Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence. Oh, next week, live in the lounge. Right here. This is going to be Right good. here. Listen to be this. A hell of a show about the secret mafia judge who ruled organized crime in America. Wasn't a member of a family. Wasn't a member of any That's family. Right. Kept right. such a low profile, even he couldn't see himself. <laughs> he had to take a ladder to tie his shoelaces. <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> Ah, yes. And now, words of wisdom. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire.
Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering the simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways 